supporting for our business customers, Qantas, Emirates, Platinum One, Platinum and Gold. Together with one of and Sapphire customers will commence shortly. Got a mate 40 here, so pretty shocked that uh, Brazil's having violent protests. I mean, when does anyone ever associate you know, violence with Brazil? I mean, does Brazil have an above average crime rate? Does Brazil have the history of massive violent protests? Is uh, Brazil a particularly dangerous place to live? Does uh, Brazil tend to lack social cohesion or social trust? Right? So, I'm no Brazil expert, but they've got astronomical crime rates. So, why would we be surprised if supporters of the previous president, Jair Bolsonaro, you know, violently protest? Yeah, I'm hoping this doesn't affect my Brazilian stocks. I, uh, what sort of Brazilian stocks do you own? Like, why on earth would you invest in Brazil? The, the Brazilian demographic is about half African. So, yeah, of course, in a country you know, filled with criminal violence, misbehavior, low social trust, low social cohesion, uh, why would you not expect you know, violent protests. It's like January 6th, all right, the, the 2020 election was, uh, was rather passionate. It revealed a highly divided America. Brazil has good dividends. Well, good luck with that, mate. So, I'll never forget something I've read or someone told me that uh, when you have a, a liquor store and it gets robbed in Argentina, you virtually never get shot. Argentinians are largely from Italian heritage, and we all know that uh, you know, Italians are peace-loving people. But you get robbed at gunpoint in Brazil, there's a really good chance you're going to get robbed and shot. So in the United States in 2020, right, the summer of George Floyd, we had massively violent protests leading to a dramatic upsurge in murder, in driving deaths, in pedestrian deaths, we had this massive upsurge in crimes of exuberance. So, where would you think that you could have a massive upsurge in crimes of exuberance, but one side of the political spectrum would be completely removed from this? Right? Once you start to have massive numbers of crimes of exuberance, you can't just expect that it'll only be limited to the left side of the political spectrum. You can't just expect, oh, this will just be related to Black Lives Matter. This is not going to have an effect on anyone else. So in Brazil, a high crime country, of course, generally law-abiding, conservative, Christian supporters of the defeated candidate can't be expected to completely absent themselves from the kind of behavior that is normal for the supporters of the winning left-wing candidate. And so too in the United States, Right, in the summer of George, we had this massive upflow of murder, crimes of exuberance. Like, why would we expect? Why would we expect that that would just, you know, continually limit itself to Black Lives Matter and uh, you know Biden voters? Right? If Biden voters get away with massive amounts of crimes of exuberance, why would we not expect you know some Trump supporters not to get in on the fun? So. Greetings, welcome to the exciting city of Brisbane.
Right, so I'm making my way back to Sydney. I'm in the big smoke. Got a few hours until my plane takes off for Sydney. And then I've got another uh, couple of weeks in Sydney where I head back to the big smoke of Los Angeles. But, you know, I read these news stories and people are just shocked, you know, absolutely shocked that uh, supporters of the conservative candidate might somehow be affected, might somehow imitate to some degree the, the massive amounts of criminal violence committed by the left. Right? When you let one side off the hook politically, you know, when, when one side riots and loots and rapes and rampages and burns and destroys and murders, right? you don't think the other side is going to want to get in on this at some point? Right? It's not going to be under the, you know, the exact same conditions because when we, we react, we never react exactly, all right? You punch someone in the stomach, they're not gonna just punch you in the stomach. And so Trump supporters during 2020 were repeatedly punched in the stomach you know, by Black Lives Matter on the left. And then they, they finally responded January 6th, like, where would we be surprised by that? Had people, when they talk about January 6th, they usually, discuss it as though it's something that happened in a vacuum or it happened you know, just purely as a result of you know right-wing misinformation and you know right-wing agitation but it occurred in a context where we had this massive upswing in left-wing violence so too with with brazil right you've got the left wing committing massive amounts of criminal violence uh, why would you not expect at some point that the, the conservatives, the people on the right, are going to respond, right? Everything we do provokes a response, and that applies to the left as well. But all these stories you see about January 6th doesn't put it in the context of the massive amounts of social dislocation and burned neighborhoods and looting and violence and murder carried out by Biden voters. It just focuses on you know, Donald Trump's comments. So maybe we'll get with Ron DeSantis, like someone who's uh, a little more disciplined than uh, Donald Trump, someone who's a little more strategic. Okay, secrets to Ron DeSantis' success. This is from Bloomberg Business DeSantis's fear for the Trump gestalt had made him a vocal proponent of measures to curb Yeah, this is a great point. Black Lives Matter and Antifa violence is dismissed as speech, right, even though it destroys and damages millions of lives. But uh, somehow, right wing violence on January 6th, that's, that's never considered just speech. Immigration. And he moved to follow through on a campaign pledge to require all public and private employers to screen workers' legal status through the federal E-Verify program. Yeah, so it sounds like uh, Ron DeSantis might be serious about cracking down on immigration. This move threatens not only sugar, but also two other major floor... One of my thoughts about gummies as a means of delivering vitamins, like... I don't see a downside, so I'm not aware of peer-reviewed evidence, bro, that, that shows that uh, vitamins in gummies are going to provide 
you know, improved health results, but I don't see a downside to it. So it sounds delicious. I, I don't see the problem. It should at least provide you with a placebo effect. A placebo effect's a beautiful thing, bro. Now we all deserve some more placebo effect in our life. So if it makes you feel better, you know, have some vitamin infused gummies. The industries that rely on immigrant labor, tourism and construction. The State Chamber of Commerce complained that employer Oh, immigrant labor. Notice how they always conflate, you know, illegal immigrant labor with legal immigrant labor. So any any attempt to restrict or penalize illegal immigration that's always described as an attack on immigration. All right, guess what? There is legal sex, meaning sex between consenting adults, and there is illegal sex, such as rape. I started taking airborne gummies on Friday. Oh, yeah, for your cough. So, uh, you know, zinc-infused stuff, right? You'd think that that would help. No substitute for wholesome foods and source of nutrition. Oh, well, it's working for you, Elliot. Blessings. And let's not discount the power of prayer. I think the, the power of prayer in, in the chat has probably helped improve both your cough and your rising levels of same-sex attraction. So together we can do this. Victory over sin, guys. Victory over sin. Let's together pray the gay away would be unduly burdened by the new requirement, but to... So, yeah, like, the difference between legal and illegal sex is, is so obvious. It's never conflated in the media. Why is the difference between legal and illegal immigration continually conflated? It's for a political agenda. There is legal and illegal shopping, right? Illegal shopping is looting. It is theft. So, you don't see a conflation of legal and illegal shopping. Alright? No matter how left-wing the news media, like illegal shopping is still called looting and theft. And just plowed ahead anyway, condemning the use of cheap foreign labor. Wait, I think he's condemning the use of illegal foreign labor. Alright? Like, does the news media not see the difference between like legal and illegal shopping, legal and illegal sex, uh, you know, legal and illegal family relations? Like, if member, you know, members of the same family are hooking up, all right, uh, most people would look at that askance. They wouldn't just say, "Oh, great, family members are getting closer to one another." Accolades on Fox. His victory was limited. The collective forces of the corporate opposition watered down the legislation, so only public employers and their contractors, but not private employers. Yeah, big business does not want limits placed on hiring of illegal immigrants. So big business is no friend for average Americans. That's, that's one way that I've, I've changed in my life. The more that I see now, how antithetical to the interests of America business forces frequently are, such as their desire for you know, massive amounts of illegal immigration, you know, in addition to pushing a, frequently a work agenda and funding and supporting Black Lives Matter terrorism. We're required to use E-Verify. DeSantis seemed to take this opposition personally. 
as grudge intensified after... Steve Salem made a great point that he noticed that the more alpha the male, the more they tend to take things personally. So I'm pretty beta because I don't tend to take much personally. And uh, Steve Saylor, similarly, he doesn't tend to take you know, things personally. But people like Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, they seem to take things very personally. And I, I guess is this just a... Is this just a symptom of like the, the high testosterone alpha male approach to life? Because one thing to mark and derive radical harmful doctrine as you ideology, but to make light of same sex attraction per se, why not? This is in large part a comedy show, right? The pandemic struck, and many Florida corporations refused to endorse his controversial COVID policies. Oh, yeah, so that's a big way that I've changed over the past 30 years, just increasing skepticism about business. Now, I used to think that what was good for business is good for America, but uh, now I realize that that was rather naive. In October 2021, without notifying his own party, he held a press conference to announce a special session of the legislature devoted to penalizing companies that required their workers to be vaccinated. This only deepened the rift. So I was ambivalent about vaccine mandates, didn't, didn't oppose them, didn't support them. Uh, in, in retrospect, it seems like vaccine mandates have played a, a pretty big role in fueling anti-vaccine sentiment. So often trying to mandate things, trying to legislate things that would be better left up to the individual the individual's decision, right, it tends to provoke, pr provoke a backlash. It's just like left-wing violence in 2020 provoked a right-wing reaction January 6th. Left-wing violence in Brazil provokes a right-wing reaction today. Uh, so to government mandates and business mandates, you know, forcing people to get uh, vaccinated uh, has pushed many people in the very opposite direction. We've always been against government mandating what business can do and can't do, complained the executive director of the Florida Chamber of Commerce. DeSantis. Well, that depends upon how business conducts itself. All right. So in life... If you're conducting yourself in a pro-social way that's a blessing to other people, they're generally going to leave you alone. But if you start conducting yourself in a way that is hurting other people and hurting your community, then they're going to be much less laissez-faire. It's not like business is just some innocent party. It's not like business is just lying prone. What about those who struggle with same-sex attraction, those who experience conflicts between their primordial instincts and their religious or other beliefs? Then that's a burden that they have to take on. It is not the responsibility of you know, your live-streaming host and uh, comics to you know, accommodate you know, every different uh, sinful or self-destructive or antisocial you know, yearning or attraction that uh, people have. Right, so I guess this is a difference between, I think, the traditional perspective of life where, you know, a man's home is his castle and, and then the, the kind of courtier morality where we always you know, judge everything we say by how it might affect you know, this person or that group.
right? So if I, if I carefully calibrate everything I say because you know, someone in, in some group may you know experience it negatively, right, that puts you know severe restrictions on on discourse. And one can also take things personally that are not directed at one one personally. So you can interpret what I was just saying as mocking those with same-sex attraction, or you can you can mock the you know the parasocial nature of you know, of the group, uh, you know, praying for each other and uh, you know, changing health outcomes and psychological outcomes. So we see what we want to see. We're sensitive to what we want to be sensitive to. Was once against mandates like this too. The bullying of private industry, he wrote in Dreams from Our Founding Fathers, was part and parcel of the modus operandi of the So, bullying, alright? Usually I hate bullying, but uh, the most important question is what's the alternative? Right? What's the alternative to bullying? If there is a better, what you particularly mocking the idea of those afflicted turning to prayer? I didn't know what I was mocking. I didn't, you know, deeply consider it. So, what's the alternative? Oh, a basketball player flatlined on the court today. He, he, he collapsed suddenly. But, uh, yeah, so whatever it is, whether it's you know, marginal tax rates or, you know, mocking something or bullying, the most important question to ask about whether or not this is the right response is what's the alternative? So sometimes bullying is better than the alternative. Sometimes mocking is better than the alternative. Uh, sometimes silence is better than saying something. Uh, sometimes taking, you know, echinacea in, and zinc-infused gummy bears is, is better than, than doing nothing. Like the, the morality or the efficacy or the efficiency of whatever it is that you're talking about is determined by what are the alternatives. Like nothing exists in a vacuum. In a vacuum. So if you say the United States sucks, you have to say compared to which countries in the real world. Under Obama, the federal government exercised a roving review authority over the business decisions of a number of large companies. So let's take it seriously, the idea of praying the gay away. I think for, for a tiny minority of people, that may be one tool in an arsenal. Uh, I did talk to a psychiatrist who said he had con considerable success helping men with same-sex attraction uh, channel that and, and restrict you know, acting out on it so they're able to maintain relations with their, their wives and, and girlfriends. So, yeah, I think... Uh, Prayer can be a valuable tool, but if, if you, you know, fundamentally have strong same-sex attraction, I think firmly a minority of people will prayer you know, prove to be the most effective and efficient tool for overcoming it. A few days later, DeSantis was the keynote speaker at the chamber's annual meeting in Orlando. In a remarkably obstreperous speech that was met mostly with silence, he blasted the rise of woke capitalism and issued an unvarnished threat to the state's business elite. I heard that conversion therapy can work, but it's being demonized. Yeah. So, 
there's similar type of therapy that psychiatrists and therapists still do, uh, but they don't call it conversion therapy. It's it's uh, focusing on your actions so that you can. I mean, if, if you know any men, you know that we all pretty much have you know wild impulses in this arena. That if we're going to be you know decent people, we have to we have to channel. And so this is just one more example of channeling you know, a wild impulse that could be disruptive to our lives and be hurtful to other people. And you can take that energy and that, that impulse and that desire and you can channel it into more socially acceptable expressions. And so it's not just with you know, same-sex attraction, it's you know, almost every man is attracted to all sorts of women that he can't have sexual relations with. And society or the psychiatrist or the therapist or the 12-step program or good community or good friends can help you know anyone channel you know wilder impulses towards you know, socially constructive ends so uh, I the prayer need not be with an expectation the attraction itself will vanish but rather God help the individual to at least keep it under control yeah and that's going to be useful for some people. Just like the 12-step program is going to be useful for some people. But not everyone is going to resonate with the 12-step approach. Not everyone's going to resonate with the prayer approach. Not everyone's going to resonate with the therapeutic approach. Right? I'm sure that different people find different approaches more or less helpful. And so if I was talking to someone one-on-one -on -one who, say, struggled with same-sex attraction, I would not be mocking that. But I'm not talking to one person right now, I'm just broadcasting general views. If you're using your power as a corporation and you're leveraging that to try to advance an ideology, he warned. So this is a good point, yeah, that Ron DeSantis is making. If you're using your power to try to leverage your desires to transform society, you shouldn't be surprised if people push back against that if they don't like your changes. So we all have power. Like there's always, almost always, someone who looks up to us in one area of our life. Like we almost always have considerable influence over something. And if we use that power to push a social engineering agenda, right, whether it's individuals or members of groups, then we shouldn't be expected as a pushback. So if your church or synagogue is like stridently against same-sex marriage and you know makes this you know a key message inside the church or synagogue you shouldn't be surprised if you then get targeted so whatever you push in the world there's usually going to be some kind of response and reaction i think it's very dangerous for this country and i'm not just going to sit idly by Former aides and allied strategists say DeSantis was driven by more than personal pique. His popularity in Florida, particularly among independents, was steadily rising. And nationally, Republican voters... So this idea that Ron DeSantis was driven by more than personal pique, we're always driven by all sorts of things which we only are dimly aware. <laughs> so we usually don't even have clarity over our own motivations. Uh, let alone uh, what, what drives other people. So we're becoming more attuned to corporate behavior. Like Democrats, they've begun choosing brands that align with their values and morals.
Says Matt Paskowski, a former Trump campaign strategist and co-founder of Human Behavior, a consumer intelligence company. A conservative backlash against corporate America had been brewing since at least 2019. That summer... Is it even possible in the present world climate to honestly investigate something as third rail as to whether or not sexual attraction can be altered? Well, it depends how you frame it. So the frame of conversion therapy, that's not a winning winning approach. But if you rename it and you know, slightly shift the focus, then you can probably have more success. Oh, only liberals can have legitimate personal peak. The Business Roundtable, the National Association for CEOs of Major Corporations, issued a statement signed by the chief executives of Apple, BlackRock, Disney, and dozens of other big companies declaring that the purpose of the corporation was no longer simply to generate returns, but also to respect the people in our communities and protect the environment by... Wait, so does that respect for people in our communities, say, cover people who believe that... Uh that marriage should be between a man and a woman? Is that what they mean by respecting people in our communities? I don't think that's what they mean. Respecting people in our communities sounds very much like uh, a left-wing agenda. But, you know, they're using this, these euphemisms, this way of speaking that, uh, that no decent person can can have any objection to. So I am currently at the Brisbane airport, mate. So beautiful Brisbane. It's uh, 90 degrees Fahrenheit outside, hanging out here for a few hours, reading the new book on J. Edgar Hoover, reading the news on my phone. And uh, I'm even thinking of discontinuing my subscription to Richard Spencer's Substack. Right, I'm spending $9 a month on a sub-stack. I think it's time to cut the cord. Yeah, it's a little warm, but at least I'm here with friends. It's kind of stunning, though, to see that Brazil getting its own January 6th protests. So often things start in America, then spread around the world. So, of course, the left will then use this in Brazil to reduce freedom of speech, freedom of association and to crack down on the right, which will then produce a right-wing backlash. Elliot says it's never been easier to consider alternative points of view. Beautiful. Embracing sustainable practices across our businesses. Sustainable practices. Doesn't that sound nice? But uh, somehow I think they're only referring to you know, left-wing environmentalist perspectives on sustainable practices. So a normal understanding of sustainable practices means that marriage is restricted to a man and a woman. Does the author discuss the rumors of J. Edgar Hoover's homoeroticism? Yes. So I, I don't think there's any evidence that uh, J. Edgar Hoover ever had gay sex. He did have intense friendships with, with men. But that used to be normal. That used to be normal, natural, healthy. I just read two books on friendship, and uh, I, I placed them on my blog, so maybe I'll talk about those. But uh, with, with more affluence, we get to be more choosy about who we hang out with, and so 
perhaps this has contributed to us giving you know friendship uh, greater importance in our lives rather than just uh, kin. Back to this uh, Bloomberg Business Week article by Joshua Green, a lefty on Ron DeSantis. Many conservatives were aghast at what they saw as the nation's top business leaders abdicating the single-minded pursuit of profit, which they believe is the basis of U.S. capitalism. Uh, no one, no one understands business as the single-minded pursuit of profit. Right? Every business has to be based somewhere. Every business has employees. Every business is susceptible to public opinion and to political pushback and to government regulation. Yeah, husbands trying to make their wives their best friend. Uh, yeah, that's that's frequently a mistake. So this caricature, the, you know, the, the traditional right-wing conservative approach to business is that they should just make the single-minded pursuit of profit their, their only agenda uh, is divorced from reality because we're all embodied, right? We all have a body. We all have to sit, stand, sleep, eat somewhere. Businesses have to have employees who are based somewhere. And we're all far more vulnerable than we want to think. And that includes business. And so political tides, social tides, cultural tides, all sorts of things you know, outside the immediate bottom line can uh, negatively affect or positively affect a business, and they're aware of that. But what really seemed to supercharge Republican animosity towards CEOs and businesses was the corporate response to the murder of George Floyd a year later. The public expressions of solidarity with protesters and support for Black Lives Matter, along with Trump's condemnation of these moves, dramatically altered Republican attitudes toward corporate America. Yeah, it... Uh, it dramatically altered my attitude towards corporate America. When I realized that corporate America was funding the Black Lives Matter terrorist group, right, that's one of the rare times that I actually, like, lost my temper. Like, normally, I, I you know, think I, you know, just try to be disinterested, try to be objective, you know, just try to understand what's going on without getting emotionally involved, but, uh, there are stories like corporate America funding Black Lives Matter that brings out the, the passionate anti-murder activist in me. Now, I don't like murder. Right? To the extent I'm an activist, it's anti-murder. I'm anti-social dislocation. Now, I'm at the Brisbane airport, mate. Oh, what do you call for Mr. Stewart Bishop? Look at beautiful Brisbane airport. It's a lovely, sunny, 90 degrees outside. This is an enormous airport. I, I'm surprised how big it is. It's much bigger than LAX. Work Corporation was starting before Floyd. Now Wall Street is all Democrat. Yeah, it was starting before George Floyd, but then it just became so dramatic. Even, what's that right-wing Christian chicken place? Uh, even they were sending funding to Black Lives Matter. The, the Fortune 500 companies would fund the Black Lives Matter terrorist group. Right. That really bugged me back to the USA. Not yet, my friend. Not yet. In, in a couple of weeks right now, I am back to Sydney. Last year, Chick -fil -A. a Gallup tracking yes. poll found that... Chick-fil-A has gone so left. Like it used to be a Christian you know, conservative organization and now they are just continually cut to the left. And they just 
on Black Lives Matter again and again and again. They're just cutting to the left. Republicans' unhappiness with the influence of major corporations almost doubled in the year and a half after Floyd's killing. Yeah, gee, I wonder why that happened. That's so shocking. Why would uh, Republicans be unhappy with big business funding a terrorist group like Black Lives Matter? From 36% to 68%, while Democrats' views remained largely unchanged. Yeah, so a majority of Republicans have developed a negative attitude towards big business. Yeah. Fortune 500 companies hold it like a cheap camera, as the late Bob Grant would say. It's corporate regulation, yeah, like required HR sexual harassment trend. Yeah, it's, it's, in, it's in part because of the ever-increasing complexity and legalism of civil rights movements and uh, vulnerability to being sued so that uh, corporations have to you know, minimize their chances for being sued. They have to fit in with the law of the land. And so the law of the land has heavily incentivized corporations to you know, institute all these you know, HR trainings, etc. When I opened near this mall, Chick-fil-A, I worked five years ago, the whole staff was really nice and smiling, and people probably handpicked from a church. And so sad that Chick-fil-A has gone, has gone work. Like it used to be one of the rare you know, right-wing corporations. So when DeSantis went after Disney a few months following his chamber speech, he wasn't simply striking back at an... So remember when everyone thought that Ron DeSantis was going to lose because of his striking back at Disney because of his anti-corporation approach, uh, because he sent those illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard. Like, all the conventional wisdom was that uh, Ron DeSantis was going to lose because of whatever he was doing. But now, in retrospect, it looks like uh, Ron DeSantis was picking on, on a winning formula. Employer critical of his administration, he was seizing a leading role in a national drama that's become increasingly central to Republican politics. Yeah, Ron DeSantis, through his effective moves, has seized the leading role. How many people still get the metaphor of folding like a cheap camera? I would expect people over what, age 45, 48, 50? By normal political standards, a governor attacking his state's marquee employer would be an act of unimaginable recklessness. No, this never happens in a vacuum. Right, if a governor attacked his state's leading employer, uh, it started with Obamacare, we forget as corporations are begging for Obamacare, especially Disney. And many corporations also encourage their employees to get food stamps, right? But if a governor attacked a state's leading employer for absolutely no reason, just completely out of the blue, yeah, then it would be shocking. But nothing happens just completely in a vacuum. Ron DeSantis attacked Sydney, uh, Disney because Disney went increasingly woke, right? It, it, it wasn't like Disney was just doing nothing, just minding its own business, that, that Disney was just you know, going for a jog and listening to you know, a Bible lesson while it was out for a jog. Dollars to donuts is a phrase that should be retired. Donuts were likely a nickel when the phrase was coined. Welcome back to Glib Medley.
but DeSantis had read the landscape correctly. As corporations have gotten bigger and bigger, their local ties have weakened, says Brad Coker, a pollster in Florida. It used to be if you were a corporation based in Pittsburgh, even if you weren't a steel company, you had your finger on the pulse of what Pittsburgh voters cared about. Yeah, everyone's got a home address. Right? Every corporation has employees who have home addresses. So when you get disconnected from the concerns of your most important customers, your most important employees, and you allow you know, abstract, intellectual, ideological, you know, philosophical concerns like uh, the work approach to life to take over, you're going to get into trouble. And you're going to cause the blowback that uh, Disney's reaping, which cost its CEO its job. Delicious. Now that's gone. The big secret about Disney is that Floridians don't go to Disney World. They see Disney as a California corporation. When Coker went into the field with his survey team, he found no drop in DeSantis's poll numbers. It hasn't hurt him at all. Quite the contrary. In late October, the Florida Chamber... Joe Biden was completely disconnected from Pennsylvania voters. He still won Pennsylvania. Well, it's an election between two choices, all right? So it's not so much that Pennsylvanians were voting for Joe Biden... It's that uh, Donald Trump lost about 2% of the suburbs. There was a 2% swing against Donald Trump in the suburbs. So I think much of the, most of the Joe Biden vote was an anti-Donald Trump vote. So Donald Trump had a political philosophy of just appealing to his base, but then that, that antagonized much of the country, and... Trump playing to the base and it caused, caused blowback in the suburbs and the 2% swing in the suburbs was sufficient to transfer power to the Democrats in the 2018 election and transfer the presidency to the Democrats in the 2020 election. So it wasn't so much that uh, voters were voting for Joe Biden. I think it was primarily they were voting against Donald Trump. Group of Commerce gathered once more for its annual meeting in Orlando. Held this year by awkward coincidence at Disney's Coronado Springs Resort. This time, DeSantis didn't show up. He didn't have to. Everybody here is talking about him, George said at the event, pausing between. I remember when I was. Uh, various times when I've been riding on a particular beat, and there are those, those fleeting days and weeks where everyone's talking about what I'm writing about. It's uh, just an amazing feeling to be the, the focus of attention and to you know, produce writing that has transfixed an entire community. Panel discussions. They're all scared. Everybody's operating theme is... So, yeah, there were times when I was blogging and I was just breaking story after story. But uh, a lot of people just absolutely scared to death that I would, you know, reveal uh, some dark secret that, that their business was hiding. Keep your head down and don't be the next Disney. DeSantis' attacks on business didn't dent his ability to raise enormous sums of money either. His re-election campaign and its aligned political action... Remember, this article is by a left-wing author, Joshua Green. I should have extorted them. <laughs> no, I got a hero system, bro. But this article is by a left-wing writer, Joshua Green, and he's got nothing damaging 
to say about Ron DeSantis. It's amazing. Committee generated more than $200 million. Donors included at least 42 billionaires or members of billionaire families. So the other elite media writing about Ron DeSantis talked about how he's not very nice and he wasn't very nice to donors, but uh, there's a quality that's far more important in politicians and how nice they are and how interpersonally warm, and that is you know, how effectively do they respond to events? How effectively do they respond to changing situations? So far, it looks like uh, DeSantis is highly effective. Including titans of finance such as Ken Griffin and Thomas Petterfee. One Republican strategist describes the core of DeSantis' donor network as financial guys who don't like the cultural direction America is going in. His landslide victory two weeks later only substantiated this state of affairs. The contrast... Are there any Republicans who like the direction of the company, of the country? Like, I'm just not aware of anyone in the, the conservative or traditional camp that uh, likes the direction of the company. I think we just vary in the degree to which we loathe and fear it. And the sense that DeSantis' arrival on the national stage could mean Trump's strong shifted attention to the other What DeSantis DeSantis is about how he picks his fights. When he vowed to go after Yeah, I think that's a really good quality. That's what I got told when I was blogging and I was just in constant conflict with people and uh, wiser heads would, would tell me, you know, be careful, you know, be selective when, when you pick fights. He wasn't making an abstract threat. He had something specific in mind. In late July. So unlike Trump, it just seems to react and to rage. Uh, Hunter Sanders sounds much more strategic. He seems to have very specific agendas in mind. He's deliberative. Flanked by Florida's Republican leaders, DeSantis introduced proposed legislation beneath a banner emblazoned with the slogan, Government of Laws, Not Woke CEOs. He laid out how his initiative would protect Floridians from Wall Street's perversion of financial investment priorities under the euphemistic banners of environmental, social, and corporate governance and diversity, inclusion, and equity. ESG, as it's known, refers to a set of standards that measure a company's adherence to socially conscious investing goals and encompasses a product. Yeah, socially conscious, right, depends on whose hero system, right? Socially conscious investing goals are overwhelmingly socially conscious investing goals of the left. You could have socially conscious conservative investing goals, such as the, the direction of business and of society should be towards protecting the nuclear family. Uh, that would be a socially conscious investing goal. Market worth at least $8 trillion in the U.S. alone. Formally, the legislation amends Florida's deceptive and unfair trade practices statute to prohibit what DeSantis says is discrimination against conservatives by big financial institutions through the use of ESG social credit score metrics. Colloquially, as Florida's new House Speaker Paul Renner put it at the rollout, it places the force of law behind DeSantis's threat to stop woke financial titans who seek to dictate policy to Floridians by classifying ESG score. So I admit, I, I'll admit, I haven't paid you know, close attention to Ron DeSantis. I only started paying 
close attention to him over the past two months. So I noticed he was always in the news and it was always for some you know, anti-work action. But when I wasn't paying very close attention, I thought it was just more you know, Fox News showboating. I didn't realize how strategic, selective, careful, and effective he was. ...as deceptive trade practices. ESG boosters such as BlackRock CEO Larry Fink and groups such as the Business Roundtable that have fallen out of favor because of their perceived liberal sympathies. It will also create a big new tempest over corporate wokeness that's sure to keep DeSantis in the national spotlight. At particular issue will be who should manage Florida's $240 billion portfolio of pension and disaster funds. Many of the firms currently handling it are also big investors in ESG, led by CEOs who think of themselves as enlightened stewards of corporate social responsibility. In the past, managing the fund wouldn't have conflicted with espousing concern for the environment. Florida, like most states, has generally treated its pension fund as in... Okay, Ron DeSantis is not going after big corporations because they espouse concern for the environment. He's going after them for their overall work agenda. And concern for the environment is just one aspect of the left wanting to you know, remake society, remake the world. Inviolable sanctuary sealed off from partisan politics. Now DeSantis is making it the subject of a national political drama that lets him once again be the aggressor against prominent companies that he alleges have succumbed to liberal social concerns. Florida has a long history of keeping politics out of its pension fund, says Brian Ballard, a top Florida lobbyist with ties to DeSantis. But I think those days are over. And I you can try to avoid politics, but uh, sometimes politics might sneak up and start targeting you. So all sorts of people who used to be apolitical have become political because they've been targeted by the left. I think the pension fund will become fertile ground for the conservative stance against corporate wokeness. DeSantis isn't waiting around for lawmakers to act. On December 1st, Florida's chief financial officer, Jimmy Petronas. That was funny. I was staying with someone who, when he shaved, you'd always miss, like, large sections of his neck. And when he'd listen to the radio, he didn't have the antenna set up right, so there's all sorts of static. So it's good to, like, interact with people because they can call you out. It's like, you know, why all these bushes of, of you know, unshaved hair here? Or you know, why don't you, you know, tune the radio? So we can be so slovenly when... We don't have a lot of people who care about us, you know, interacting with us. But when people who care about you interact with you, then they can challenge you. It's like, you know, what the heck is going on here? Making social justice issues the end-all and be-all of one's political life or entire life is right from the communist subversion playbook, says the chat. Announced that the state was pulling $2 billion of investments managed by BlackRock because of the company's use of ESG principles. Patronus called out Fink in a statement. If Larry or his friends on Wall Street want to change the world, run for office, he said. Start a nonprofit. Donate to the causes you care about. Using our cash, however, to fund BlackRock's social engineering project 
isn't something Florida ever signed up for. Yeah, that is a very lucid critique. If I talked to more people, I'd know more about Ron DeSantis or if I looked it up myself. Yeah, I've just started paying attention in the last three months. The past few years have demonstrated how nimbly DeSantis can revise his own narrative to suit his political needs. Elliot says Big Woke will always have a constituency because the numbers of incompetent, economically handicapped will continue to stack up like cordwood. No, they'll always have a constituency because different people have different hero systems. And the reason that different people have different hero systems is that different responses to the universe, to the world, to life, to reality have proved themselves adaptive. Right? The reason there are left-wing responses and right-wing responses is that at various times and places, one type of response has proved more adaptive than the other. We need the left-wing response because there are going to be circumstances where the left-wing response will be more adaptive to this confusing, challenging world, which is beyond our individual comprehension. So our political instincts are hardwired over thousands and thousands of years of evolution. So the, there are aspects of the work response that are adaptive to reality, more adaptive than our own instincts. And I don't know under which situations that will occur, but that so many people are woke... Right. I don't think that's just a, you know, an evolutionary dead end. Right. Unless overwhelmingly the people who are woke don't have better than replacement birth rates, then it will prove to be an evolutionary dead end. And how distressing was the Dallas Cowboys' performance today? I mean, they're heading into the playoffs after playing their worst game of the season, going up against Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. The Cowboys are still three-point favorites, but I'm not feeling good about this, guys. He's gone from running TV ads in 2018 that featured his baby son in a Trump onesie to ignoring Trump to beating Trump in a handful of early, too early polls for the GOP's... Right, so there are going to be times when it's useful to invoke someone else. There are going to be times when it's uh, expedient to show obeisance. Money equals economic survival is the ultimate hero system. No, bro. Nobody has their hero system just all, all about money. All right? It's, uh, it's more complicated than that. G'day, Ireland. How are you, mate? 24 presidential nomination. The question now is whether DeSantis can revise the party's narrative to allow for a possibility it hasn't seen for many years, a leader other than the former president. Presidential hopefuls such as Pence and Pompeo are trapped in the old narrative. They're programmed for caution, and their Trump credentials... So how many people are excited about Mike Pence for president or uh, Mike Pompeo for president? ...would be the basis of their campaign... But Trump himself already fills that lane. DeSantis has set himself apart by choosing target... Most work is total contradiction, said the chat. They cry about gentrification, then they whine about white flight. They say white culture absorbed and stole others' culture, then blame the culture on whites. It's all subversion. ...wisely and bearing his teeth, carving out a distinct political identity. Interesting mixture of evolutionary orthodoxy and postmodernist independence heterodoxy. Yeah. That doesn't depend on Trump's past or future. His fortunes could ultimately hinge on whether his war against corporate wokeness excites the Republican masses the way Trump once did. 
He's pushed this issue of wokeness to the point where it's now orthodoxy among Republicans. Matt Schlapp, the chairman of the American Conservative Union, says approvingly. But can Larry Fink eclipse Crooked Hillary and Lion Ted in the pantheon of MAGA villains? DeSantis will soon find out. He won't encounter much opposition at all. The business community, at least in Florida, is no longer the Republican Party's ally, says Max Stavanovich, a veteran Florida lobbyist who quit the party when Trump took over. They are its servants. The real challenge, then, will be persuading Republican voters to transfer their loyalty. Wow, it sounds like you say that, uh, that Ron DeSantis has made the, the business lobby his bitch. If DeSantis pulls it off, it would represent yet another unlikely turn in Republican politics. A libertarian congressman who railed against government interference in private business, turning around and winning the nomination by using his own governmental powers to bully corporate giants. Okay, so he's talking as though someone's libertarianism is is has no respect to the situation. If today's work so could flourish economically by becoming outright, he would. They work love their kids as much as we do. They're just as you know fine a people. They're they're good people on both sides of the work anti work divide. Plenty of work people would make great neighbors. <coughs> oh, so Someone could be libertarian in a particular circumstance, and then when the circumstances changes, right, their political ideology could change. Right? This article treats Ron DeSantis' libertarianism and then his you know, anti-corporate woke stance as though they're contradictory, as though the situation hasn't changed, as though corporations haven't changed. When, when business changes, when corporations change, when social mores change, when circumstances change, then one's adaptation to them will have to change. So Christian nationalists, all right, most of them would just be regular Christians 50 years ago, but now you have to put much more effort into you know, trying to maintain a traditional Christian way of life that that extra effort is now known in some circles as this Christian nationalism. But the situation has changed, all right? Christianity is no longer the default, right? It's no longer... You know, just uh, accepted as you know what what automatically happens, and so in this you know, changing world, then yeah, it uh, it shouldn't be surprising that uh, in an increasingly secular America, you need a more vigorous Christian response if you're going to maintain your Christian identity. But before that can happen, one big obstacle looms. The next 18 months will show whether DeSantis can make himself into a national figure who inspires the kind of fear and adulation. Yeah, didn't Disney put pressure on Florida over the density of gay agenda? Yeah. And uh, Disney made certain choices, right, that then provoked a response from Ron DeSantis. He didn't just pick Disney for no reason. Disney was not just lying you know, passively on the bed, you know, saying to Ron DeSantis, you know, please screw me. Disney was an active participant in this bank. Eventually, he'll have to stare down the dragon. Something that, for all his success, he's thus far avoided doing. 
but when he's ready to make the jump from understudy to leading man, he can point voters to Florida, where his conquest of the Republican Party is now absolute. All he has to do is depend on his son's as Kai and I were and our bowels get That was the secret to December. Okay, I just read two books on friendship. I want to talk to you about. So one book was called Big Friendship, another one was like a, a cultural history of friendship. Okay, here we go. Big Friendship, How We Keep Each Other Close. Right, this book came out in 2020. Now it says in the late 18th and 19th centuries when it became common to marry for love. So really prior to the 19th century, it wasn't the norm to marry for love. Middle class people began worrying that the couple would have to have, would have no reason to stay married if their affections dissipated. So with more men working outside the, lot, the home, women were newly responsible for domestic life. Really, is that new in the 18th and 19th century that women became responsible for domestic life? And the idea of separate spheres developed. Oh, so, so there was no idea of uh, separate spheres you know, prior to the 18th, 19th century. So this was the only version of the notion that men are from Mars, women are from Venus. So this book by a couple lefties, uh, you know, wants us to believe that you know prior to the 18th, 19th century, there was no idea, no notion that, that men and women were fundamentally different. So this led to the intense romanticization of the other. Well, yeah, there was a growth of uh, you know, romance as, as a reason for, for marriage. Right? The more traditional your way of life, then the less emphasis is placed on, on romance as a reason to get married. Yeah, women were just cutting down trees and everything. Yeah, well, some of them, the tough ones were. But it uh, allowed for the real flower, flowering of male, male, female, female friendship, because these were the people that you had everything in common with. So you just romanticize the opposite sex and then and then develop friendship with the same sex. Well, I, I see a point there, but I think uh, for thousands of years, men have had more male friends than female friends, and women have had more female friends than male friends. So in 19th century correspondence, women refer to men as the grosser sex. <laughs> I think that's still true today. Friendship, not romantic relationships, were a place where women felt free to be themselves and to express their emotions. Yeah, it's uh, often a lot easier to be yourself and to express your emotions with your friends as opposed to your spouse. Your relationship with your spouse is going to be a lot more freighted. And I would think that if men are emotionally open with their spouses, frequently their spouses will lose all erotic or romantic interest in them and come to despise them as weak. Like, women usually don't want to know what you're struggling with or what you're insecure about or what you're having a hard time with. Like, women often smell that as weakness and then despise you for it. 
intense female friendships were accepted because women were supposedly so pure that they wouldn't have sex with each other even if they slept in the same bed or that. Well, the same went for men. You know, men would sometimes sleep in the same bed with other men and it wasn't uh, suspected that they'd be having sex. If a woman professed to have a crush on another woman, it wasn't seen as a commentary on her sexuality. Right, yeah, people used to have very intense friendships until the LGBTQ era made them look you know, much more suspiciously sexual. Right? There's nothing inherently sexual in having an intense friendship. Yeah, men who identified as heterosexual would talk about falling asleep with their head lying peacefully on the breast of their good friend. Well, there's nothing sexual about that till we got into the LGBTQ era, which then started sexualizing everything and made same-sex friendship much more challenging and much more open to derision. Right? There's nothing inherently gay about a bloke falling asleep with his head on another bloke's chest. But this idea of men and women as opposites, normally regarding Brazil, I prefer to see the military take over instead of the corrupt leftist Lula, says Angus. It'd be hard to believe you'd have a nail-biting election in a violent, socially dislocated country like Brazil, and there would be some sort of violent blowback from the right. Okay, so the idea of men and women as opposites had a chilling effect on friendships between men and women. Also, the reality is that very few men and women have ever been able to be strictly platonically friends without one partner wanting more. Right? That's just uh, the nature of reality. So gradually, middle-class Americans adopted the practice of dating. Right, which emerged in the working class. I didn't know that. It became more acceptable for women to appear in public, even to work. Talking about the 20th century here, this led to the rise of what was called companionate marriage. It's not yet the era of I married my best friend. But it came accepted that women and men should share activities and pursue a mutually fulfilling sex life. Well, hasn't, hasn't this always been true? But yeah, I guess the idea of pursuing, you know, mutually fulfilling activities outside of sex is probably more of a modern thing. This dealt a huge blow to close same-sex friendship, suddenly became less acceptable as they came to be viewed as a threat to the male-female romantic partnership. Really? Did uh, the idea of companion marriage threatens friendship? When did sexual behavior become elevated to the status of an identity? Well, that's part of the, the woke left-wing evolution. So during the 1960s, when you had an explosion of multiculturalism and an explosion of victimhood, men and women should have their own separate activities, women only clubs, men only clubs. Yeah, I agree. Generally speaking, men and women are happier when they're with themselves, separate from the opposite sex. But is it true that the whole idea of companionate marriage you know, threatens same-sex friendships? I would think there are a lot of couples who have certain activities that they like to do together and also have same-sex friends.
Title IX is ridiculous. Women's sports should not be funded at the same level as men's sports. Absolutely, because men and women have different needs. Right? Men need sports, right? It, because men are much more competitive. Men have higher levels of testosterone. Yeah, also probably as we became more secular, uh, all these multiple identities such as around the pursuit of pleasure, you know, became much more socially acceptable. Now, now I can't imagine publicly identifying you know, by the type of sex that I prefer. That just seems such a distasteful way of uh, constructing an identity. Men found themselves under suspicion if they walked down the street the way they used to. Um, around another guy's shoulders. Well, that's because of the rise of LGBTQ, which has tried to sexualize everything, try to normalize having sex with other family members, having sex with kids, and trying to destroy the whole idea of a nuclear family. Right? What, what the LGBTQ agenda is not about is you know, marriage. Right? Gay marriage is simply a tool to destroy the nuclear family. Very few gays want to get married. Right? It's a way to destroy the whole idea of a nuclear family. I remember when a girl joined my little league team in Brentwood. I was 11 back in 1985. Us guys on the team hated this. She was a good player for a girl, but held the team back. Yeah, but uh, supposedly we have to, you know, deny team cohesion and what's good for the team. You have to let you know every little individual, uh, you know, express their inner selves. Non-binary is a precursor to genderlessness. Yeah. Hetero versus homo is about far more than merely the type of sex that one prefers. Yes, that is a good point. But it still seems a reductive way of identifying oneself. You know, why would one not identify oneself as a you know a lover of culture or a humanist or you know, a Christian or a Jew rather than, you know, uh, you know, an identity of, you know, pleasure and, you know, certain aesthetic tastes. Women in close relationships with other women could be labeled lesbians. Yeah, it was a mistake when we started sexualizing everything. Like, life is better for the individual and for society if we keep sex in a particular compartment and not allow all of life to become sexualized, particularly you don't want the family to become sexualized. Oof. People prefer to make friends with other people who can help them achieve their goals. Yeah, that's a good point. But we're not usually even aware that that's something that we're selecting for, yeah. One, one way that we choose friends is, you know, will this person help me become the person that I want to be? There's almost no academic research concerning dynamics within friend groups. So most academic work around friendship is focused on one-on-one -on -one relationships as if they exist in a social vacuum, but we never exist in a social vacuum. So there are no default rules for dealing with extensive and overlapping friend groups. So I like to keep my friends in separate compartments. And when I'm at events where friends from different compartments are gathering together, right, that tends to make me nervous. 
And I admire those who are much more at ease with you know, bringing together friends from different compartments of their life. So this is a metaphor, right? Okay, there are no default rules for dealing with extensive and overlapping friend groups. So do you like to keep your friends in separate compartments or are you fine when they overlap? Few people talk through their expectations and insecurities before the inevitable problems present themselves. What do you do? And two friends you've introduced to each other have a disagreement. Level of responsibility do you bear for a friend's behavior? Besides tribal, do we not have a hunting instinct working all day until sunset? Yeah, men in particular have a have a hunting instinct. We need a challenge. Nowadays, people desperately latch on to any sort of power play they can, even if it's ultimately at their own expense in the end. Well, probably the less powerful you feel, the more desperate you will be to invoke a power play. The more at ease you are in yourself, then the less need you will have to play gratuitous power games. So here's a great New Yorker essay from the humorist David Sedaris. He wrote The Four Burners Theory of Life Priorities. Okay, life is like a stovetop. One burner represents your family. One burner represents your friends, one burner represents your health, and one burner represents your work. So your stove can't run for long with all four burners burning brightly. To be successful, you have to switch off one or two or three of the burners. If you want to be really successful, you have to just pick two to keep lit. So a few people have the luxury of switching off work. Many people switching off family is unthinkable and switching off health is unsustainable. So for most people, the friend's burner is the first to go when you get a family. Yeah, that rings really true. Okay, here are three categories for friendships. Active, dormant, commemorative. Now, the active ones, the ones that are important to you right now, you spend time with them. Dormant friendships are ones that were once active but aren't going strong on a daily basis. And commemorative friendships, ones that ended abruptly or faded away and you don't expect to ever come back. So I'm amazed by those people who have uh, never lost a friend, who have never fallen out with a friend. Okay, then I was reading this 2014 book called Friendship A History. So it says, the second half of the 20th century saw the triumph of a particular form of intimate and reciprocal friendship. In Western societies, especially in suburbia, where most people made their home, became more and more common to rely on friends for the kinds of advice, resources, and recreation that once would have depended upon family and kin. So this form of friendship as an experience came to be characterized by an ever greater emphasis on emotional and private rather than practical and public obligations. So it's kind of a luxury good. In the 21st century, friendship may still have practical effects and even influence people, but gaining advantage or fulfilling obligations not its chief intentions and could undermine it. Friendship is freely chosen. It's become more and more different from other kinds of relationships, which instrumental benefits are assumed. Obligations play a large role, such as those with family, kin, co-workers, or neighbors. So for me, friendship is primarily the result of shared activities, so such as Orthodox Judaism, uh, writing groups. So those are the two places I primarily got my friends. I worked in Hollywood decades as a writer. 
spent four years as a rideshare driver. Behavior I've seen from hedonistic Hollywood people is disgusting, says the chat. So yeah, all my friends come from shared interests, shared commitments, shared activities. Yeah, I am currently at Brisbane Airport. I'm about to get on a jet plane and uh, making my way south to Sydney for a couple of weeks. And then at the end of January, I'm going to return to Los Angeles. So we now expect real friends will help us sort through difficulties that we used to turn to family and kin for help with. So friendship is reaching new levels of depth and complexity and is suffusing and often replacing kin and family relationships as never before. The ability to choose friends with select people rests on an increasing ability to spend limit and deny obligations to others. Yeah, when you make one friend, right, you're giving up something often. Right? With every friendship comes obligations and commitments. Right? So we're now often choosing friendship at the price of suspending, limiting, and denying our obligations to others such as kin and neighbors. And we can do this because we expect that you know public services, social welfare will take care of kin or neighbors. So people now get to prioritize you know chosen over obligatory personal relationships and to idealize friendship as an emotional rather than an instrumental bond relies upon robust universal and public entitlements. People choose friends of convenience and for instrumental reasons. But I think primarily from shared activities and shared goals. Friendship is always a selective and exclusive relationship. It's tempered by our ability to access forms of entitlement based upon less personal bonds such as citizenship. That's interesting. So this was you know, very much a, a left-wing socialist-leaning book. It says it's the, the generous provision of social services that enables us to spend more time with friends and to leave kin and neighbors to you know, social welfare agencies. Okay, I think I'm going to go back to my book on J. Edgar Hoover. Talk to you later, mates.